You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everybody and welcome to the Health Hub. I am your host Kathy Biasse and along with Alex Diaz, our producer, we welcome you to the show today. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy, and once again, good morning to our listeners. Hopefully everybody in Canada had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know we did. How about yourself, Alex? I did as well, thanks. It was uh, very relaxing and it was excellent to be able to spend time with the family. Lots of food? For sure. Every day? Or do you celebrate on one particular day? Um, pretty much. We typically celebrate on, on Sunday. Yeah, we did that as well this year. And we had a little golf tournament in honor of my brother-in-law, Keith. He passed away a couple of years ago. So we've started doing a, a golf tournament for him every year. And uh, it's always a nice time for our family to get together and, you know, be thankful for the things that we that we have in our life. And it was such a beautiful weekend. Although during the golf, actually, it rained a little bit, but... Uh, other than that, we were up north, and it was just a wonderful weekend to be had by all. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. And the show today, um, and it, it's funny how timing works, because this show was actually postponed, because our guest Greg had uh, had something that he had to get done on our scheduled date. So we moved the show, and I really didn't equate the two, uh, the two dates yeah. with uh, the timing of the show, and our show is on Gratitude. And, you know, it falls in line with the weekend of Thanksgiving. And it's something that um, really you'll find through our interview is is a practice. You know, we have Thanksgiving once a year and, you know, we try to focus on the day of what we, you know, what we're thankful for. And but I think that cultivating thankfulness and gratitude throughout our everyday life is a practice that is so worthwhile and so important to our outlook and to our mental health. It's so easy to get bogged down in life by the things that aren't going right, isn't it, Alex? Very much so. It's very important to maintain a positive attitude and even be grateful for the things that we are going through. Exactly. In terms of if if there are sort of a a bit of a hurdle, Mm -hmm. I find that those hurdles will only... Uh, build us, build our character and help us in the future should we need to share our experiences with somebody else. Yeah, it's, it's true. And um, I know, you know, we've all had people and ourselves go through bad times and to try and talk about gratitude when people are going through bad times is, is a tough thing to get across to them. So hopefully when you listen to this show and you listen to Greg and and his profoundness on the topic, you'll understand why cultivating gratitude starting today will be so helpful for you during those times of lowness, let's say. It's easy to be grateful and thankful when things are going well. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's like anything. It's like our faith, isn't it? You know, it's, it's faith is easy when things are going well. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to, easy to praise and thank God during, during the good times. It is. And then when your, your faith is tested or your spirituality is tested, it's, that's when a practice really comes. It's like exercising a muscle. Yeah. It really is. And, and so that's why I hope that, that people listening to the show today will take the steps in, in cultivating a practice of gratitude. And let me tell you, I'm not there either. You know, I, I, this is something, especially after talking to Greg, I really want to, to start incorporating. And when you, you listen to how, how easy it is and the simple steps that you need to take, you will, you will be able to understand that the practice of gratitude is something that you can incorporate into your everyday. And it's a form of mindfulness and it's a form of positive mental, mental exercise and positive psychology. So please stay tuned and enjoy the show and do call in. We are live. So you can call into 416-245-1534 if you would like to talk to um, myself or Greg or Alex if you have questions. And you can reach us on Instagram at the Health Hub RMC. You can tweet at us at Kathy underscore Biase. And do follow us on social media. We put a lot of interesting things on social media. We're on the Facebook. On the Facebook. My kids would kill me. We're on Facebook. And you can email us as well if you have further questions at thh at radiomaria.ca. So an introduction to Greg. Greg Kretsch is one of the leading authorities on Japanese psychology in North America. He's the author of five books, including A Natural Approach to Mental Wellness, Japanese Psychology, and the Skills We Need for Psychological and Spiritual Health. Greg is the editor of 30,000 Days, a journal for purposeful living, and his work has appeared in Cosmopolitan, Experience Life, The Sun, Counseling Today, and Spirituality and Health magazine. His first book on Naken Reflection, Naken, Gratitude, Grace, and the Japanese Art of Self-Reflection, won Spirituality and Health's Award for Best Book in 2002. He has been teaching an online course on mindfulness and attention for 20 years and has been a keynote speaker at conferences on mindfulness and attention deficit disorder. Greg currently lives in Vermont, where he is the director of a nonprofit education center called the To-Do Institute. So after our break, we will meet Greg and start talking about gratitude. We'll be right back. You never walked away Cause your love runs deep for me 
And I see this beautiful world And it brings tears in my eyes And I think it's beautiful to be free All I can do Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our number here is 416-245-1534 if you'd like to call in. Alex has been laughing at me for two minutes, <laughs> and I want to clarify them a lot more on point with social media than that came out. <laughs> yes. And our Facebook tag is at the health hub radio maria so i don't usually say the facebook so that was just a written error okay right so i am more on point with that alex exactly i'm, yeah. I'm sorry to throw you off that's oh yeah that's you can me. be a little nasty can't you <laughs> <laughs> and what goes on behind the glass yeah, i know exactly I'm stays terrible. behind the glass <laughs> we're back here and we are on um on the line here with greg greg welcome to the show thank you so much for joining us today well, it's wonderful to be here, and thank you for having me on the show, Kathy. And I wanted to just wish a happy Thanksgiving to all my Canadian neighbors up there. Well, thank you so much. When do you celebrate yours? Late November? Yeah, it's like the fourth Thursday in November, so we still have a little over a month. Yeah, yours butts up close to Christmas time. We have a, a bit of a breather between uh, the two holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you are sort of a, an Eastern-based philosophy or psychology approach can you you know before we get into our, our our heady topic of gratitude can you explain to our listeners what the japanese style of psychology is compared to more of the western ways that we're used to 
Um, sure, I'll see if I can do that in a nutshell. Uh, I think that people often associate things from the East with the, the mystical. And in fact, uh, the approach that we use, that we've kind of imported from Japan, is very practical and down to earth and concrete. Um, but basically, it, it uh, emphasizes a different value system, I think, than a lot of Western psychology. Um, less um, talk and more action, for example. Um, less uh, blaming other people for our problems and more uh, appreciation of other people for how they're supporting us. Um, I think there's more of an emphasis on uh, mindfulness and what we pay attention to uh, as opposed to distraction. There's an emphasis uh, even on the present moment in our life as opposed to kind of looking forward. So it really is just a different value system, I think, that we, we get from Japan. And therefore, everything that follows the type of... Uh, you would get or the um, type of a way you would follow up from what advice you would get is very different than you would see in Western psychology. So not the typical, let's look back into your history, let's see where your problems started and get to the root of that. You're more saying, okay, this is where we are presently and how do we move forward? Uh, I think that's a part of it. And I think um, in the part in the elements of this where you do look back into your history, which, which I've done in terms of my own training, instead of looking at um, problems, we look back to see what we can be grateful for. We look back and, uh, at a childhood that we maybe have a story about that includes, you know, having a, um, being neglected or having an alcoholic father or uh, being abandoned by our mother, and, and we look for the ways that we actually were cared for and supported and loved um, in our past instead of looking for the root of our current problems. So again, um, we're paying attention to something very different. Is it total departure from Western psychology, or can you mix the two together? Um, I think it's a different paradigm. I think that there, you know, Western psychology encompasses a lot, and, and there are certain methods in Western psychology that I think overlap with Japanese psychology. Um, but I think it's a, it is a very different paradigm of what mental health is, what it means to be healed or cured, um, what we're even striving for. So um, there's, uh, I'd say, kind of the fundamental difference is that. Uh, in the, in the approach that we take, the purpose of this is really to help people live a more fulfilling and meaningful life as opposed to uh, reducing symptoms of anxiety or depression, for example, um, that uh, this is more focused on how do you coexist with anxiety and still uh, do what you want to do in your life that's really important. So it's less about symptom reduction and more about kind of living a purposeful and meaningful life. Do you find over the past number of years that you're getting more and more people tending toward the Eastern way? Are we not having success with the Western type of psychology or psychological approaches? Well, I would, I would actually argue that we aren't having success. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't individuals out there who, who um, aren't doing good work, because there are. There's, there's, most people go into the field of, 
of psychology and mental health because they want to help other people. Um, and there are people who are doing good work. But if you look at the actual statistics over the last 50 or 60 years, um, at least in the United States, I can't really speak for the situation in Canada, but you know, we have more people on disability in the United States for mental health problems than um, ever before in history, and yet we're spending you know, billions of dollars on medication and on having increased access to counseling and mental health services, um, and yet uh, we don't seem to be creating a situation here where we see an increase in the overall mental health of our population um, or in the level of happiness or well-being when we compare ourselves to other countries. So at least in the United States, I think that we do have something wrong with our system and we do have to step back and look at, you know, what, what is it that we're, we're doing um, that actually isn't helpful and what could we be doing that would actually uh, be, be more effective in terms of helping people to have a good life? Well, one of the, I guess not in psychology, but more towards the psychiatry and medication is often involved when we're talking about mental illness. And does the Eastern way of... I guess it's not treating, but does the Eastern approach um, necessarily negate medication, or can that be broached in the medical field? No, I don't think that there's a. Uh, it, it doesn't uh, restrict or eliminate the possibility that people might need medication. Um, so I think that one could basically be on psychiatric medication and still be kind of working with these approaches. Um, but I think what's happened in the West is that in, in many cases now we've developed um, uh, a psychiatric uh, medication for almost every kind of, of struggle or problem that a person has. And again, we're not seeing actually uh, great results from that over periods of time. Um, so I think that uh, there are real limits in terms of what we can get from psychiatric medication, but on the other hand, uh, there's, there's nothing that's incompatible with people needing or being on medication and working with um, this kind of other paradigm that comes from Japan. Why do you think, though, that it's important not to lay blame on your feelings or your life situation? Well, um, let's talk about your feelings. So one of the, the things we start with in um, Japanese psychology is that we can't control our feelings. It's one of the main principles I teach when I do workshops is that uh, uh, if, you are, <clears throat> if you meet somebody and you start falling in love with that person, you're actually, it's not like you're telling yourself to fall in love and then your feelings just follow. Your, your feelings kind of have a mind of their own and suddenly you find yourself with all these kind of, you know, romantic, nice, attraction, attractive type of feelings towards the other person. Uh, but if the relationship ends and uh, that person's no longer in your life, um, you may still love them. You may still feel love for them. Uh, so, so feelings of, of depression, feelings of anxiety, feelings of shyness are not feelings we can control. And since we can't control them, we really do start with this assumption that we're not responsible for them. We're responsible for how we're living our life, but we're not responsible for our internal experience of, for example, whether we feel anxious or not uh, when we have to stand up and make a presentation in front of a group. Are we trying to control these feelings or just put them in a, in a place so that we can move forward? Well, I think here's, again, where we see a real 
uh, distinction between Japanese psychology. So in, we often have this uh, assumption in the West that we either have to uh, suppress our feelings, right, just just kind of keep them down and, and not even acknowledge them or be aware of them, or we have to express them, uh, and that somehow that's a healthy thing to be expressing and talking about our feelings. But the third option that really doesn't get looked at but is the primary approach that you see in Japanese psychology is to accept our feelings and coexist with them while we continue to live our lives. So if I'm feeling anxious because I have to give a talk in front of an auditorium of, of a few hundred people, um, I accept my feelings of anxiety uh, and, and just simply rather than try to fix them or get myself to feel confident uh, or use self-talk as a way of kind of talking myself into another state, I just simp simply accept that at this point in time I'm feeling anxious and what do I need to do to prepare for my talk? And I go out on stage and feeling anxious, I start giving my talk. And what we generally find is once we actually, in this case, start to give our talk and we really get engrossed in what we're doing, uh, we no longer feel anxious. So, um, so here's this third option, which uh, is not necessarily about fixing our feelings, changing them, suppressing them, or even expressing them, but simply accepting what's going on, and on this, at the same time, not allowing it to uh, paralyze us or stop us from doing the things that are important in our life. We do tend to put negative and positive connotations with our feelings. You know, that's a good feeling, or that's a bad feeling, or I shouldn't feel this way, or I should feel this way, and that can lead to a lot of internal controversy. Um, you, when you talked about, uh, it, it resonated with me when you said that, you know, feelings can't be helped. And, you know, I, I've been married 30 years, 30 years today, actually, 30 years ago today. And when we were doing our wedding preparation course, of, of all the things that were talked about, that's the one thing that really remained with me because I actually found it somewhat profound because... Mm -hmm. It was it was just the simple statement that, you know, in a relationship, you cannot change or try and, you know, you can't lay blame or tell someone that their feelings are wrong. They are what they are. And it's up to the, the partner to try and, I guess, understand them or deal with them or live with them. It's not up to us to change them. So I do I do really like that statement that the feelings are not something that, um, you know, that we can truly control. And I, I'm assuming yeah, and, that well, feelings and so forth come from experience and life situation. Is that correct? Well, first, let me just say happy anniversary to you, by the way. <laughs> 30 years is a long time, so I think you're in your... I was a child bride. Child bride. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're only 35. Then. Exactly. A little older. A little older, but around that. Well, my wife and I are actually going to be celebrating in a week our 25th anniversary. Oh, that's a big one. Um, and, uh, you know, those of us who have been uh, married or with the same person for uh, many decades, uh, one of the things you begin to recognize is how your feelings, um, you know, change over time. That It's almost like a roller coaster ride. You know, you can one minute just feel like you are the luckiest person in the world to be married to this angel of a human being. And, you know, then something happens and the person says the wrong thing at the wrong time. And the next thing you know, you feel this surge of anger and, and uh, you don't want to speak to the person and you're ready to you know, cancel your dinner date or going out with them that night. And so part of what we begin to do, and I think in many ways a long-term relationship is a great example of this, is 
we kind of ride out that roller coaster of feelings in order to honor our commitment and stay with this person that we're in love with. And so we recognize that we're going to have an up, ups and downs at the feeling level in any long-term relationship. But um, the focus, I think, for, for people who have stayed in a relationship often for this long is, is your commitment, you know, your, your purpose, which is to try to build a life with the other person and have a, uh, a wonderful you know, marriage with the other person. And you're willing to allow those feelings to kind of go up and down because it's just the nature of what happens inside us. And I think um, that is, is really almost a, a metaphor for the rest of our lives, you know, whether it's with our jobs or our, or our kids as they grow up or um, life in general is that we're going to wake up one morning feeling, you know, energized and, and excited and we're going to wake up another morning feeling depressed and overwhelmed uh, and regardless of that feeling state, it's important for us to focus on what our purpose is uh, for our life and for that particular day that we're, we're starting. Yes, yes, that's very true. Now, when we approach the topic of gratitude, just from listening to you talk for the last few minutes, is obviously gratitude is, comes from experiences, comes from mindfulness, comes from attention. But what would you, in your you know, in your paradigm, the way you you operate in your Japanese Eastern way of psychology, what would you consider gratitude to be, a a definition of gratitude? Well, I think it, I think it does start with awareness, you know, and, and awareness of things that we don't, we aren't normally aware of that, that, um, we go through life in many cases in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction, and we have little blips and little moments where we become aware of somebody for us or how life is supporting us. But we um, we spend a lot of our time essentially uh, not appreciating what we have and yearning for for more. Uh, so to me, gratitude has to do with the awareness that that even at this very moment, for example. Um, I'm receiving the benefit of, of the telephone system that's allowing me to talk to you in this interview and the technology that you have in your studio there, which I'm not even aware of, um, and electricity. Uh, I'm sitting on a, a sofa in my library, which is kind of supporting me in a very physical way. Um, there's you know heat in my home that's basically keeping me warm, whereas if I was outside, I'd be much cooler at this point. So even at this moment, um, all of these things are happening to support me. And to me, gratitude is, is the awareness of those things. And then the natural response that I have internally to, um, uh, to being able to see how I'm cared for, supported, even loved in my life, um, and that natural response of appreciation that just comes from, my, from within or from my heart. Very well said. We are going to take a quick break here. Uh, We've had our introduction into gratitude, and we get back from our break. We're going to take a a deep dive into this topic. So we'll be back in a few minutes, everybody. When I look back over my life, and all the times you brought me through, I just want to say, Father, thank you. When I was lonely and needed someone to hold me, um, you were beside me when my nights got cold and lonely. 
Welcome back, everybody. We are on line here with Greg Kretsch from the Tudor Institute. And just before break, we started talking about gratitude. And Greg gave us his definition, so to speak, of what gratitude is. Now, Greg, can you work with us further and tell us why you think it's important to cultivate gratitude? Well, um, what I'd love to do is just share in a minute or two my own experience um, because uh, I had a pretty kind of um, average childhood being raised, you know, in a suburban area of Chicago. My family wasn't wealthy, but they weren't poor. Um, but I grew up, I think, as, as a very kind of self-centered uh, kid who didn't really appreciate his parents or, or much of anything. You know, I was just very focused on what I wanted to do and what I needed and what I wanted to get from my life. Uh, and then it, in my early 30s, when I discovered this, I ended up going over to Japan and I spent two weeks in a um, center called a Nikon Center um, doing this self-reflection where I basically sat um, about 15 or 16 hours a day on cushions and I reflected on my entire life in periods of three years at a time. And uh, each of those periods, I had to look at these three 
reflective questions. And the first question was, what did I receive during this period of time? What did I give to others? And what troubles and difficulties did I cause others? And I reflected on all the key relationships in my life. And what I realized is that I had received so much more than I had ever um, recognized uh, you know, throughout, the, throughout my first you know, 32 or 33 years um, from everybody, from relatives, from my parents, from my teachers at school, um, and that I almost never you know, appreciated that. I almost never expressed thanks for those things, including thanks to my own parents. Uh, and it really changed. It was a turning point in my life. It changed my relationship with my mother and my father and uh, um, changed my relationship with women. I wasn't married at the time, but I had dated different women. I basically had a very different view of of, um, my relationships with women from that point on. Uh, And so what I found was that there was this really important relationship between cultivating gratitude and self-reflection. And uh, I think that one of the most important things that we can do in our busy lives is to carve out even just a few minutes uh, each day to be able to step back from our life and just reflect on our life in this very kind of practical, concrete way. Um, And I think it's the best way that I've discovered in terms of cultivating a very authentic and natural sense of gratitude in in ourselves. How do we how do we start on the practice? Uh, I said in the introduction, you know, days come up and you you know you're grateful for certain events and certain things. We just had Thanksgiving, so it's a focus on that. But is gratitude and the practice of gratitude to me, it's like flexing a muscle and strengthening a muscle because it's something that I think we need to do every day in our life. Because when we hit those low points, don't we need to be well established in our practice of gratitude? Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right, that, that all of us are going to face challenges, crises, tragedies, difficulties in our life, and um, our ability to cope with those uh, is, is going to be very different if we've basically cultivated an ongoing practice of, of gratitude in our lives. So we have a, a maxim in, uh, in Japanese psychology, the approach called Nikon, and we have a maxim that goes, examine life outside the boundaries of your suffering. Examine life outside the boundaries of your suffering. And it means that when we're struggling and suffering, and it could be you know, anything from a flat tire to, uh, if you look at the recent hurricanes, to our, our home being you know, devastated in a natural disaster, to the loss of a loved one, uh, any kind of situation which is really stretching us. Uh, that when we're in those situations, of course, we get very absorbed with the problem we're facing and with our own suffering. But often when we step back from those situations, and, and usually this is in retrospect, and we look at what happened, we find that we were supported in very practical ways by many different people and even objects. So if you just look at a simple situation like having a flat tire, this happened to me a couple of months ago driving my um, uh, daughter to school, and you know somebody actually stopped and said, "Can I give you a hand?" And uh, um, they did give me a hand, and then I was able to. My wife came and picked up my daughter and got her to school, so she wouldn't be that late. And I, I actually was fairly close to a tire place, and I took my tire in, and they were ac- actually able to plug the tire and fix it. So, so all of these things are going on, 
you know, to help me with my problem and support me. But uh, because I'm struggling so much and, and so frustrated or upset about the situation, it's very hard to see that. But if we cultivate that sense of awareness in our life, then um, we can go through those situations. And it's not that we're not going to be upset or uh, we're not going to feel pain or grief, but we're going to also recognize that the world is coming to support us in these various ways, um, even as we struggle with the difficulty that we're facing. How do we begin the process of getting a practice in place of gratitude? Is it a daily ritual? Is it something that you recommend that people do several times throughout the day? Can you give us tips to start on our our practice of gratitude? Sure, and I think uh, a daily practice is wonderful. And when we do a residential program here at at our center in Vermont, um, many of the people who've come in have never done this before. And so part of what they do for the the time that they're here, uh, it's a nine-day residential program, is every evening before they go to bed, they just review the day and they use these three questions, right, the, that I mentioned earlier. So they're looking back just at the, at the previous day. What did I receive from others during this day? What did I give to others? And then what troubles and difficulties did I cause others? And that's essentially the three core questions of this daily reflection. And then in the morning we get together and people get a chance to kind of share some of their reflections with one another. But um, if you do this every day, uh, it's, it's a wonderful way to just do research on your life. I often introduce it as a research project um, to actually uh, conduct research and look at what are you receiving today? You know, what, what are you giving to others? Did you receive more than you gave or did you give more than you received? Um, and what are the problems and difficulties that you're causing others? So, so as a, a way of cultivating a practice, it's really a wonderfully simple practice. If you spend just 20 to 25 minutes in the evening, um, you can do a fairly, fairly thorough job of kind of reviewing your day. Uh, and what people often find is that they go to bed with a different understanding or a different take on what that day was like than they would have had had they not done that. Um, and we have another maxim that actually is about that. It, it says that uh, your, um, your experience of life is not based on your life, but on what you pay attention to. Right? So if, if you go through the day and all you're paying attention to is your problems, your difficulties, this isn't going the way you want to, uh, this, this uh, thing came up and it, it's now forcing you to, to take time to attend to it and your computer's not working or your phone's not working, um, if that's what you pay attention to, then at the end of the day, you, you have a sense that it was a really difficult, hard day. It was frustrating. It was challenging. It was disappointing. But at the end of the day, if you're looking at this question, what did I receive from others? And you're looking at, you know, well, my wife got up this morning and made coffee and my car started and it got me to work and no other cars crashed into me all the way, down, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the way downtown um, and I got a good parking space and my eyeglasses helped me to see and you have this long list of very practical things and you now have a very different sense about the day you know you have a sense that um that you received a lot that you were supported that there was a um kind of a a lot going on that basically helped to helped you to get through the day and even have a good day so cultivating gratitude it, it seems like once we start this practice you begin to cultivate gratitude then maybe you become 
more attentive to a different type of thing during your day, which makes you more mindful, which leads to deeper gratitude. Is that the play that we're looking at? You know, I, exactly, Kathy. I think it, it's a cycle where once we start, you know, what, at the end of the day, we're really reflecting back, right? So we're not going back to our childhood, but we're going back to the day that's just finished. So we're looking at our immediate past. But as we begin to do that on a regular basis, um, we start noticing things in the present moment of our lives that are going to be on our list, so to speak, in the evening when we're doing our reflection. Um, and those are things that we wouldn't have been aware of had we not been doing this. So, um, so it, it is a, a very wonderful cycle where the more we um, build in time for self-reflection, the more it affects our awareness or attention um, throughout the day in, in the, from a moment-to-moment standpoint. So by extension, it leads us more into living in the present, which is a very difficult thing. Well, for me, I can't speak to all, but it's a very difficult thing for me to do. So this whole, this whole outlook, this whole way of, of cultivating gratitude really would help me as I, as I will start now going through this process. I do try and do it. It will help me to live more in the present and appreciate the now. Is that what you find? I do, and I think that um, I don't. I don't want to give people the impression that you know uh, that somehow you're going to turn into someone who is just a beacon of gratitude 24 mm-hmm. hours a day. Although you might, <laughs> but um, I certainly haven't. You know, I still I still complain from time to time. I still get you know frustrated. I still neglect um, appreciating you know ways in which I'm supported by others. So we're human beings, and I think um, this isn't about somehow creating some, um, you know, perfect, elegant theme of gratitude that's just going to be in your life every moment of the day. But I think the more that we have a practice like this, the more that we engage in this kind of self-reflection and become conscious of how we're supported, <clears throat> how we're supported in our life, um, you know, the more that that's actually going to become part of our experience throughout the day, including the, these moments where it just brings us back to the present because we realize just that the sun just came out and isn't that wonderful, or someone just put on a pot of coffee and I can smell that and, and it's great because I get to have a nice hot cup of coffee, or um, we're going outside and it's chilly and, and I'm putting on this nice warm coat and then I remember, oh, I got this coat from my daughter for my birthday two years ago. So... Yeah, I think it's this combination of mindfulness and gratitude that can kick in in a very natural way. Um, and it, it really helps to shift us from what I call a complaint-based life to a life of appreciation. Um, but again, not, not in some perfect 100% way, but we begin to feel ourselves moving um, in, in this very healthy direction as we become more aware of, of how we're supported in our lives and, and how much is there uh, that's really helping us to, to even just stay alive in a very basic way. You know, it seems like it's appreciating the smaller, meaningful things in life. And, and I, you know, as you're talking, I can't help, you know, my phone is buzzing and all this stuff going on. How does what we have and how does all this technology that's ever present and in our face, is that, is that a block 
to gratitude, do you think? Is that, a, is that a hurdle that we have to come over or something that messes up with our, our internal way of seeing things? Well, I think it is because I think it's a distraction from life. And, and I'm not against technology. You know, I have a smartphone, I have a laptop, I have a tablet. I use technology, and I think that it's one of the things that I, is often on my list of things I appreciate. You know, it allows me to keep in touch with my daughter who's in you know, college in Chicago, for example. Um, uh, when I was in college, you, you couldn't have a, um, a, you couldn't make a Skype call or, or a FaceTime, you know, with your parents. Uh, just what technology wasn't there. So I think we can appreciate technology, but I think it often is a, dis- a distraction. And, and so one of the things that happens, for instance, if you go to some place where there's a, a long line, here in the United States, it's often the the Division of Motor Vehicles, you know, the government offices that handle registration of cars and licenses. I don't know how it is in Canada. No, it's the same. You, it's the same? Oh, okay. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's one of the things we have in common then. But, you know, you'll look at people in line, and, and of course, many of those people as they're in line are just staring at their phones. Um, and the question is, what could if they didn't have their phones with them or out, what would they be doing? And... Um, you would be using your mind in a different way. You would be using, you could be looking around the room, you could be noticing things in the present moment of your life. You could also be reflecting on something in your life uh, in, in this way that would help cultivate um, a healthy mind and, and a grateful heart. So I think that um, uh, it's a double-edged sword. You know, technology gives us um, all kinds of opportunities that we didn't have when I was a kid. And at the same time, it's, we're, we're probably the most distracted uh, uh, generation for, for people who are growing up with technology now. It's probably the most distracted generation in the history of civilization. And so I think somehow we need to find a way to work with technology that um, allows us to get some of those benefits but doesn't basically create the the distraction that it does from things that are really important to us psychologically and spiritually. So again, it, it leads back to the attention, the attention part of, of what you were talking about and its importance to gratitude. And, it, you know, it almost requires us to, you know, physically and mentally say, I'm shutting down and, and, and add those times of the day so that we can practice gratitude. Because you can't, you can't sit and think and be mindful when things are buzzing and beeping and, you know, it just puts you in mind of things that need to be done. So, uh, you know, to me, that is an important piece to the whole gratitude practice is to is to shut down. I know things are becoming more popular. You know, you, you don't go away on, on wellness retreats now. You go away on technology retreats. And that's a big thing that's starting to happen now is leave everything at home and see if you can not go crazy away from all your technology. It's, it's, it's something how dependent we've become on this stuff. Absolutely, and um, and so I, I think that you know there. I heard that there's progressive companies in in Europe where when people have a holiday for a couple of weeks, for example, um, that in, instead of just having the email messages build up in their inbox, um, the company just basically uh, shuts off their email completely, and and there's an automatic response that says so and so is on vacation, if you want to reach them, they'll be back in the office on such and such day. So when you get back, you don't have 500 emails sitting there Mm -hmm. waiting to answer. You have zero. Um, And if people really want to contact you, they just wait until you get back. So I think that there are ways, you know, as we think about this wisely and progressively to kind of work with with technology. Mm -hmm. But, um, But solitude, you know, to me, what you're talking about in terms of 
kind of shutting off is really creating opportunities for solitude. And I think um, solitude is is really important, and it's uh, uh, something that's harder and harder to find in our society. And yet, it's present in almost every single you know great religious tradition in in the world. You know where there's an emphasis on the importance of finding time for solitude. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Now, obviously, we can see the parallels to how this would create a, a positive psychology, the, the practice of gratitude. But we're heading into the end of the show, and I'm, I'm going to throw a question to you that I know is going to be a, a big one, um, but we'll, we'll get through it as quickly as we can. Can gratitude and being mindful and paying attention physiologically rework your brain? Um, I think it can. <clears throat> I think that the whole field of neuroscience um, has really just developed in the last, you know, 12, 15 years, and they're finding more and more amazing things about how this works. And there's a concept that some of your listeners have probably heard before called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is really uh, the, oper- the idea that the brain can actually rewire itself. And so the question is, um, what causes the brain to rewire itself? And uh, it, it turns out that one of the main things that causes the brain to rewire itself is what we pay attention to. So um, if we start paying attention to how, you know, I've got a phone that's allowing me to talk to you and I've got eyeglasses that's helping me to see and my car is starting and I have electricity so I can make, um, you know, hot tea in the kitchen. If we start paying attention to things, um, there's no question that that begins to affect how our brain rewires itself. So we're, we're seeing a lot of research that's done on meditation, for example, that is showing how um, our brain changes itself based on having a meditation uh, practice. And I think um, we're going to find out that that's, that's really true in lots of different ways, but they clearly have evidence now that what we pay attention to affects the actual neural pathways in our brain. Well said on a short period of time. Thank you for that. Now, Greg, you've got a new book coming out. Can you tell us about that? Sure. It's a, a book uh, called Question Your Life, uh, Nikon, Self-Reflection, Re- Nikon Self-Reflection and the Transformation of Our Stories. And it's an a- anthology that I collected from people over the last 25 years, people who basically uh, engaged in self-reflection, who stepped back from their lives and they in some cases, looked at relationships like with their mom or their dad um, uh, or other people they were estranged from and found that that the practice of self-reflection really could just change their whole perspective and understanding of both themselves and those relationships. And in many cases, those relationships were healed and turned around. Um, And so some of the stories are just extraordinary. There was a, a woman who actually... Um, fell onto the tracks and was hit by a train on the Long Island Railroad. And then uh, years later, during a retreat, reflected on that experience of what she received. It, it seems like it would be crazy, but she looked at, you know, what did she receive um, in that accident and all the doctors and the ambulance drivers and people who helped her. So the book is essentially a collection of those stories where people have use self-reflection as a practice, and it's really had an impact on their lives and their relationships. Sounds inspiring. Is it out yet for, for our listeners? Um, it's, it's, uh, 
it will be out um, probably in about the next 10 to 14 days. Okay. Um, it's available on our own website for pre-sale, but in terms of being available like on Amazon or in, in bookstores, probably a couple more weeks. Okay, and your website for our listeners is www.todoinstitute.org. That's T-O-D-O institute.org. And before we sign off, Greg, if you could give us a tip, a tip of the day around what we've talked about around gratitude, it would be a great way to end off the show. Well, um, I'll I'll give you a quick example of a ritual that we've used in our family since our kids were young for our Thanksgiving. Um, And it's never too late to to me to, even if Thanksgiving was a previous weekend, to do this kind of thing. And um, we would always sit down with our kids the morning of Thanksgiving, and we'd have 45 minutes of silence, even when our kids were, you know, three or four years old. And we would just uh, give them paper with boxes on it and just say, in the boxes, write down the things that you're thankful for. And when, before they could write, they would draw pictures. Um, and we would do this as well, you know, as, as the parents. And then we'd get together as a family and we'd share those things. And just the simple practice of of basically writing down all the things we're thankful for, all the ways we're blessed in our life, um, and then sharing that, you know, with our family, um, not only was good for us individually, but I think it was really a wonderful experience for us as a family um, to kind of hear hear what everybody else is thankful for. So just a, a simple little practice like that, which we can do on Thanksgiving or we can do any time, really, um, by just getting everybody together for an hour uh, to me, has a has a wonderful payoff. It's a great investment um, in both gratitude and in our relationship with others. Wonderful, and it's never too late to start with your family, even if they're young adults or or older adults. So, thank you so much, Greg. It's a show that I was really, really looking forward to, and I've learned quite a bit. And I really appreciate you coming to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will speak with you next week. Thank Hosted by Kathy Biasi here on Radio Maria Canada.